Revelation 20. Revelation chapter 20. Now, uh, we will read the entire chapter, so 15 verses. Um, I don't think we are, uh, I, I will mainly be focusing on uh, the first uh, 10 verses. Um, I will talk about the, the final uh, five verses as well, but I want to leave that for, a, for another time, I think, um, as we talk about uh, the final five verses here um, in the next week or so. But uh, <clears throat> Revelation chapter 20, uh, Revelation chapter 20. Um, and uh, so uh, when you have found that place, I will, I will ask one more time, if you're physically able to do so, would you please stand with me as we honor the reading of God's holy and written word in Revelation chapter 20. Uh, and this is the word of the Lord that's given to us tonight. It says, And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold of the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years, and cast him into the bottomless pit, and shut him up, and set a seal upon him, that he should deceive the nations no more, till the thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that he must be loosed a little season. And I saw thrones, and they that sat upon them, and judgment was given to them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus, and for the word of God, which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. But the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he that has part in the first resurrection. On such the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. And when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison and shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, the number of whom is the sand of the sea. And they went on the, up on the breadth of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints about and the beloved city and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. And they went up on the breadth of the earth, and I'm sorry, I devoured them. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are, and shall be tor tormented day and night forever and ever. And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was no place found for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened. And another book was opened, and which was the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every man, according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found and written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Let's pray. Father, uh, we thank you for your word. This is your word that's been given to us. May you now bless it, and may you now uh, guide us in your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Um, so, this is the ch chapter 19 and chapter 20 really do serve as the culmination of the entire book of Revelation, talking about the victory of God talking about God's victory, the victory of Christ, what's going on. In previous chapters of Revelation, as we've taken the notice, we've seen that um, God has already dealt with, and as he's already said here in Revelation chapter 20, God has already dealt with the beast and the false prophet. They've been cast into, the, uh, into this lake of fire, and so the Lord has dealt with them. 
But interestingly enough, God leaves Satan, the devil, right, the old serpent, um, to uh, until this point to judge him, to bring about his judgment, to bring about his uh, his once and for all. Uh, well, his his being bound and 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 um, everything that has that he has done, he being having to give an answer for. Um, you know, we've seen things like the fall of Babylon. We've seen, uh, as I said, the, the doom of the, the great prostitute, um, the armies having been gathered together, and, and we've seen all of these things. Uh, we've seen the saints uh, throughout the book of Revelation murdered for the faith that they have given uh, for the sake of Christ. We've seen great work and great blessing throughout, uh, throughout the judgment uh, upon God's people, great blessing upon God's people despite judgment being poured out upon the earth. Um, and, and, and I don't know if you know this, but in all of the New Testament, this is the only place where the word millennium or thousand years actually occurs. Um, and it, will re- it will occur and reoccur within quick succession um, here in, in Revelation chapter 20. Uh, as you can tell, it, it repeats itself, I believe, six times here in just a, just a, just a very short amount of time. Um, but this is actually the only place that a thousand years is ever mentioned, or the millennial, uh, the millennium is ever mentioned. Um, and and, and it, 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 is, it is an amazing, it is amazing reality um, that as, as we take a look at this, we would think that this would all be very straightforward, and then we could just sort of uh, boil all this down uh, and, and be very, very um, sure about what this text is actually teaching. And certainly it is very straightforward, but the meaning there and the usage of symbols as often as the case in Revelation, I think, does make us spend a little bit more time contemplating what this, what this is talking about and what, what is being mentioned here. Because you have everything from uh, the, the uh, Satan being cast into uh, or being locked up in a pit. Uh, you have uh, that uh, to the mention of the, the false prophet and the beast. You have um, the, the first resurrection, Gog, Magog. There's, there's lots of things happening here in Revelation chapter 20. Uh, and, and I think more so than what we even understand, um, John's usage of, of, of this. And, and I think it's important for us to understand that, that this, is a, um, this isn't always as cut and dried at times as we like to make it out to be. This isn't always as, as easy um, to, to bring about uh, to, a, to a good conclusion. Um, but we have lots of things going on, uh, and we, we see lots of, lots of different things. Ultimately, we do know one thing. Uh, well, we actually know a couple things. First, we know that Christ is victorious. We know that uh, Satan is bound. And we know that, um, that uh, the nations will bow in, in submission to Christ. And ultimately, all of this will end in final judgment uh, with death in Hades, death in hell, ending, uh, ending, being, ending up being cast into the lake of fire themselves, which is interesting, right? Because uh, how can death and hell be cast into the lake of fire? Um, it's almost as if the it's almost as if God is treating these two things as if they're persons, um, and so there's lots of things going on here. So a couple of things I want you just to keep in mind as we're as we're working our way through chapter 20 
um, is, is this idea of the binding and loosening of Satan. The, the, of course, like I said, the thousand years that, uh, and the thousand year reign that is mentioned here in Revelation chapter 20. And then, of course, the final judgment and this whole idea of, of uh, finding our names and ourselves in the book of life and um, making sure that that is a reality. So with all of that before us, let's just dive in. Let's just go through the text. Let's see what the text tells us. Um, I'm do my best just to limit myself to the text itself. Um, and uh, see what we can come with, come up with from there. So, um, in Revelation chapter twenty, verses one through three, I think we see uh, first and foremost we see uh, a time, uh, the time before uh, before Satan is bound. Uh, there was there is a time pr- pr- prior to uh, to Revelation chapter twenty here uh, in what he is talking and what John is showing us and what the Lord Jesus is giving to us through the the Apostle John. When there was a time, and there is a time in which Satan is allowed to run freely, he is allowed to run amok, and 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 yet at this time in Revelation chapter twenty, we are told John says, "And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand, and he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years, and cast him into the bottomless pit, and shut him up, and set a seal upon him, that he should deceive the nations no more, till the thousand years should be." fulfilled and after that he must be loosed a little season so it is interesting that John is seeing again um, just like just like in previous chapters John sees another angel John sees a, a another angel uh, and this angel is a is a just like the last ones that he's seen a strong angel a mighty angel and it is coming down from heaven being sent by God except this angel we see a couple different things going on don't we first and foremost we see an angel that has uh, a key uh, to a particular place called the bottomless pit, and we see that he has a great chain in his hand. So this angel is unlike the other angels because previous to this we haven't seen an angel with any types of keys or chains or anything else. We've just seen um, angels uh, uh, coming down out of heaven and crying and, and, and giving messages and proclaiming judgment and all this, but now we see an angel, a mighty strong angel, right, a servant of God being sent by by God himself out of heaven, and he has the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. Now, what is it exactly that John is saying to us? Well, this isn't the first time that the idea of the abyss um, has, or the, or the bottomless pit has occurred in the book of Revelation. If you remember earlier in the book of Revelation, the angel actually opens the bottomless pit, and all these crazy, very strange, weird, demonic beings come out of this bottomless pit to torment people. Um, so we get things like locusts that uh, that have uh, the teeth of lions, and all, and and they sting with with uh, like uh, the sting of scorpions, and, and all sorts of things. Again, these aren't real creatures. John never meant for us to see them as real creatures, but rather the effects of of what God has sent them out and unleashed them upon the world to do. Um, and so here, though, there is instead of letting anything out, right? God now places upon this same angel uh, the the idea of grabbing Satan and binding him and throwing him into the abyss. And the bottomless pit, that, that's literally the idea here. Um, we think of bottomless pit, um, you know, um, which isn't a bad translation, but but in reality, the, the more proper, I think the proper understanding would be that of, of just simply an abyss, uh, it is a place um, that is that is uh, um, it has uh, no real um, uh, n- no real uh, 
up or down, or it's just a holding place uh, where God has, has resigned those who are in judgment to um, at this point for a, for, a, for a while. And so the angel comes down, he grabs hold of Satan, he grabs him, and he throws him into this pit, right, into this, this, this abyss. For it, and it tells us here in the text, for a thousand years, for a thousand years. Now we know that John has used numbers throughout the book of Revelation uh, very, very loosely and symbolically. Uh, I tend to believe this is a literal thousand years, um, but certainly because of John's usage of numbers and the way he's used them throughout, uh, throughout the book of Revelation, I certainly understand my brothers who see this as more of a, a symbol of God's ultimate power and authority um, because we know that from, uh, from, our, uh, from our understanding, we understand that in the, in the, in the mind of, of the first century readers here, they would have uh, certainly understood that uh, a thousand was representative of God's absolute sovereign power and authority. So whether it's a literal thousand-year period or not, the the, the same is is uh, the, the same message is 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 to be is to be communicated, which is that God is sovereign. God is all powerful. There is nothing that takes God by surprise. Nothing that ultimately can uh, take Him by surprise. Nothing that is outside of His sovereign rule and His sovereign reign. And it's the criteria here upon which uh, it's used in this final judgment, uh, the, the importance in, in, in all of this we see, again, going back to the, the idea of, of this is not a place that, that you want to, uh, not that you would, but this is, this, is, this is a place of judgment. And this is not a place that, uh, that the Christian ever will see. This is not, a, not something that you and I will ever experience, the judgment of the world and the judgment of Satan. Uh, but we certainly do look at this and we rejoice in, in Satan's judgment because we, we ultimately know what? We know that our God is sovereign. It's interesting that Jesus, back in the Gospel of Matthew, talks about he saw Satan fall from heaven like a, like a, like, like a lightning strike uh, that flashed uh, across the sky. And it's interesting that, that, that Jesus spoke of that already and has spoken of that in the sense of this is already uh, the, the, the fall of Satan and, and the, the casting down of Satan out of heaven has already occurred. And it's interesting that John here makes use of, of this idea of Satan being bound uh, once and for all, at least, I'm sorry, at least for a thousand years. And in the, and the absence of this thousand year, or in the absence of Satan's work during this time, um, what, is, what is going on? Well, in verses 4 through 6, we see um, a time during this thousand years, and it says, And I saw thrones, and they that sat upon them, and judgment was given to them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands, and lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. But the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he that has part in the first resurrection. On such the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. And then in verse 7, again, there's that word, thousand years. This, is, this happens very quickly in very quick fire succession. So we see in the absence of Satan's work. Now, now lest we think, oh, well, see, so what that means is that there's, there's not going to there, be any more problems, there's not going to be any more struggles, right, that the nations will just simply bow the knee to Christ, that Christ through the gospel has plowed the nations under, and, and now all of a sudden they will all bow. 
we do not dare forget about total depravity, and we do not dare to realize that not everyone during this time is going to be saved. But we do know that that <clears throat> that this that those who have uh, who have not worshipped the beast or his image, those who have not received his mark, those who have been even beheaded um, um, for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, they are the ones who will who will see and 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 they, they will they will see their faith vindicated. John sees the soul these souls upon the upon the upon thrones and they they will be committed to, to them will be committed judgment and God God will richly bless their faith God is going to richly bless those who have who die uh, for for the sake of the gospel those whom he loves uh, who who uh, those whom he loves but also those whom who who have died faithfully in the service of Christ and it says that these souls lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. But it does say that the dead, the rest of the dead, did not live again until the thousand years were finished. And then it talks about the first resurrection. Now, there is some, um, some interesting um, parallels here between the beginning of, Re- of Revelation 20 and the end of Revelation 20. Because if you notice here um, in, in, these, in these first six verses... They are very different than what happens in verses 12 through 15, aren't they? Because in 12 through 15, unlike the first resurrection and God saying, well, blessed are those who take part in this. In verses 12 through 15, we see things like, uh, I saw the dead, small and great, and they all stood before God. And the, book, and, books, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. Right. So obviously, in the first part here of Revelation chapter twenty, in the first six verses, these are the names of those who have who have been written in the in the um, in the book of life. Whereas those in twelve through fifteen have not been written in the Lamb's book of life, in the in the book of life. And 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 how we know this is this: there there are two there are two ways, and, and I don't want to get too far off into this, but I do want to point this out: there are two sources of judgment for them. Do you notice there is one hope for us who are in Christ in verse in chapter the first six chapters of chapter twenty or six, first six verses of chapter twenty? But do you notice there are two sources of judgment uh, for those who are in uh, who are not in Christ? Do you, do you notice what it is? Why is it that it says that that books and then another book was opened? Well, first and foremost, uh, because they, their name first and foremost wasn't written in the Lamb's Book of Life, but second of all. They are going to be judged by the works that they have done. And so they, no one can say, ah, but I lived such a good life. Ah, but I did so well. Ah, but I, 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 I loved you and I served you. And, and God says, no, no, not at all. Your name was neither written in the book of life. And based on your works, you will be judged. You are judged. And so this is a, this is a very, very real, real reality for those who are coming uh, or who will, who will face the second death, the second judgment that is, that is coming. Whereas the hope of the saint in chapter 20, verses 1 through 6, is that of, of, of one of hope and resurrection and of life. Do you, and, and do you notice, do you notice that the, even, in, even in the way John, uh, the Lord Jesus speaks to the Apostle John and show, what he shows the Apostle John here in chapter 20, in the first six verses, it is filled with the words of life and the words of blessing and the words of peace. But in the, in the latter part of, Bo- of Revelation 20, it's filled with death. It's filled with judgment. It's filled with, with all sorts of, of, uh, of, of hopelessness. 
because their hope uh, were not found, the, the hopes of those found in Revelation 20, 12 through 15 were not found in Christ. Right? They, they had no, they had no, their hope ultimately was in themselves and in their own self-righteousness. And, you know, people, people haven't, cha- people don't change. People have always been sacrificing their lives upon the altar of self. They've always been offering themselves and their lives and their families upon the altar of success and lie, uh, of, of, of the hope of, of the life that they want. Whereas we see that, we see the reality of Proverbs coming to life when it says, that there is a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof is death, right? So those in Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 through 15, these are those, these are those who thought that their way was life, their way was good, their way was perfect, their way was what they should be doing, but its end is in death. Not just one death, but in two deaths. Not, not just in the fact that they physically die, but in the, in the fa- or, and not just in the fact that they're even spiritually dead, but in the reality that they will face God's wrath forever and ever in the lake of fire, which is called the second death. Isaiah will talk about this uh, in Isaiah, I believe it's in Isaiah 66, where he talks about um, that, uh, he speaks of a place where they are tormented day and night and, and that uh, their, their thirst is not quenched and their worm does not die. Uh, and, and I don't want to get off into the worm, but, but just know that it's a, it's, a, it's a symbol for great judgment and great suffering. Um, and so I think oftentimes what happens is we, we often confuse this idea of hell with the lake of fire. And, and we need not do that. Uh, we need not do that. Uh, hell is not the lake of fire, and the lake of fire is not hell. Hell is a place of suffering most certainly, but as we see here in 11, uh, verses 11 through 15, they're separate. And that hell itself will be cast into the lake of fire, as, we'll, as we see here in our text. But notice, notice what these saints in the first six verses are called. Notice what they're called. First, they're called blessed, right? And then they're called holy, and all those are called blessed and holy who have part in the first resurrection is what, is what our text tells us, isn't it? And then it says there's, there's, a second re- there's a second reality. Not only are they holy, not only are they blessed by God, but they, are also, um, they also have no fear of judgment and wrath. Why? Because it tells us here that, that, that in verses 4 through 6 that the second death has absolutely no power over them. Satan has no power over them. Satan has no power, period. Uh, but Satan has no power over them. Satan has no hold on them. Sin has no hold on them. Death has no hold on them. They are Christ. They belong to Christ. We belong to Christ. We are Christ. We will reign with Christ. We will uh, honor Christ in our, um, in our life and in our death and in our resurrection. Because the second, because not only are we blessed, not only are we holy, but there is no power and no second death that can grab hold of us. And notice this, what he says here in verses 4 through 6, right? It says <clears throat> that they reigned, right, with Christ a thousand years. So they, 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 they reign with, we will reign with the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, and we are also called what? Uh, priests, uh, priests of God and of Christ, and so these are these are these are these are understanding that that we this is what we have to look forward to, 
We have look, to look forward to blessing and, 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 and worship, and we have um, to look forward to um, the ability to, to, to judge and um, judge the nations, and that the second death has no power of us, that we, we are and will continue to be, and it will be realized that we're priests of our God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we will reign with him. We will reign with him. We, uh, we, we reign with him, but we will reign with him as well. And then we see a, an, another reality here. Not only do we see um, in the first six verses this, um, this, this time of great blessing, but we do see Satan's final attempt um, at, at defeat, don't we? At least that's what the text tells us here in verses 7 through 10. Because it tells us that, uh, and when the thousand years are expired um, or, or, or ended, um, Satan will be released loose he doesn't break out this isn't a jailbreak by the way right satan doesn't figure out a way to overcome the seal of god that's been placed on him or the chains satan is deliberately released from his holding cell from his captivity from this place of great darkness from this abyss from this place of of eternal darkness and whole this holding cell where he has been held for a thousand years and he is released by god right uh, he is released by God. Why would, why would God release him um, ultimately to exercise his sovereign rule and power and to once and for all place sin in its rightful place, which is in the lake of fire? And so we see that, right? Uh, we see his release from prison in verses 7 and 8 uh, after the thousand years were completed. And then what will he can immediately do? Well, he will immediately do what he's always done. He is a deceiver and a liar. He is one who seeks to go out and to steal and kill and destroy, our Lord Jesus Christ says. And so what will he do? He will go out into the four corners of the earth. He will deceive the nations, those who are not, right? Those, those who have simply bowed the knee to Christ um, and have, uh, because not everyone will be converted during this time, right? The, the gospel will have great power and great impact, but not every nation will be converted. Um, not every person will be converted. He will deceive them and he will then gather them together to battle. Which is as interesting, isn't it? I mean, uh, he, he, you're, you're going to fight the God of heaven with men <laughs> and with, with all sorts of, of weaponry of war. And you're going to gather them together as if, as if God operates through democracy. Hey, God, we've gotten together and we've all held a vote. And we all decided we don't want you ruling over us anymore, right? Um, I mean, it's just utter ridiculousness in, in, in any of this and in all of this. And yet this is exactly what he does because he hates God enough that it doesn't matter. He is like a, you know, there's a, there's a saying, right, um, that, uh, that, that a wild animal that is caught in a trap will gnaw its own leg off to get away. And this is, this is Satan. He is, he, he is trapped and he is trying any way and every way he can to shirk the, the authority of God to, 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 to find a way to keep keep away from God's authority so that he can exercise his own authority and his own power. And, and, and the, 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 saint, uh, the nations will gather themselves and surround the camp of the saints, right? Uh, and it says, and the beloved city here. Uh, they, will camp, uh, they will camp around the saints and, and the beloved city, um, which is more than likely Jerusalem. Uh, they will camp around and, and they will seek to destroy and throw off the restraints and the confines of God's authority and his power. But um, God is not shaken by any of this because what does it say here in verse 10? 
And it says, And the devil that deceived them was cast in, or I'm sorry, let's go back to verse 9. And they went up uh, from the, on the breadth of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints about and the beloved city. And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. This is the result of, uh, and the idea of fire is used in, in judgment here, right? They, they are judged. Satan was judged by being cast into the abyss. He is now judged again uh, by, by watching as, as the entire armies that he has amassed are, are incinerated, and he himself then is thrown into the lake of fire. Um, judgment is going to fall upon Satan. Judgment has fallen at the cross, and judgment will fall again uh, upon Satan once and for all when he is cast into the lake of fire. And it's interesting that God, God destroys it. And it is interesting because if you know anything about the Old Testament, there is, a, there, is a, there is another place where God did this. This was back in the Old Testament in the book of Kings where um, I, I believe it was, uh, uh, excuse me, I, don't, I think it was Elisha. Um, where uh, the men were, uh, the men, the, the captains were sent to uh, uh, to take him in, and and uh, God sent down fire and consumed them in judgment. And this is the idea again: is that uh, the nations are going to be once and for all judged. God is not going to be uh, powerless. He is going to exercise full sovereignty and power. And it says, and this this is a this is a, a for discomforting thought, isn't it? But it, but it is a reality for us. Then it says that that not only will Satan be cast into the lake of fire and brimstone. By the way, um, if you were not here for one of the other sermons where I talked about brimstone, brimstone was a uh, um, was a substance um, that clung to the body, uh, and it would uh, it would burn and burn and burn and burn, uh, and uh, it would. Uh, uh, it would burn until it extinguished itself, um, and, and this was not a, a fun way to, to have died. But yet, ju- the Lord Jesus presents to us here in Revelation chapter 20 that um, their torment will not end. end. It'll happen day and night, over and over and over again for all eternity, because they have rebelled against the God of heaven, because they have rejected the God of heaven. Because they have hated the God of heaven. And we, I think at times we treat sin as, as, as such a light thing. And I, I know that this can be the case for me, right? That sometimes we don't think about the ramifications or the repercussions of, the, the, of, of our sin. And I think it's true for us when, we, when we're thinking about the sin of the nations, right? Like God is the rightful ruler and judge of the nations. And, and for one person to, to, to raise his fist against God... Uh, it is cosmic treason and rebellion against Almighty God, and this is this is a this is a sin uh, that must be paid for. It will be paid for either through the blood of Christ or here through their own suffering forever and ever. There is no end because their sin is um, it is it is a it is a heinous thing uh, committed against a holy and eternal God. And we say that once this is all taken place, then in verses 11 through 15, the great white throne judgment. Um, I used to always hear preachers say uh, growing up when they would preach this text, usually it was during a revival or something, right? Uh, you know, they'd be like, ah, you don't want to be at the great white throne. Uh, and, and that's true. I mean, you, you, uh, but I think, I, I think uh, what we need to remember here is that um, verse 11 when it says, and I saw a great white throne, what, what we need to remember is for us, for us, this great white throne is a mercy seat. 
it is a mercy seat. For the non-believer, it is a place of judgment. The white throne is not white uh, for them and some other color for us. It is Christ sitting enthroned in a glory. And it is a mercy seat for the believer. And it is a place of judgment for the non-believer. Christ does not sit on another throne. Christ sits on one throne. And this throne, this idea of the throne, goes all the way, goes all the way around. Now, I, I go all the way throughout Revelation. Now, what I will say is, you don't want to be a part of this part of the great white throne judgment. Certainly, that is not something that we want to find ourselves in. And if we're in Christ, the good news is we won't be there. But for those of them who, who haven't, who have rebelled against God, against Christ, this great white throne reveals to us, for those who are apart from Christ, a time of severe judgment. And it is interesting that what does it say here in verse 11? And I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and heaven fled away, and there was no place, and there was found no place for them. Notice that heaven and earth are not even daring to look at the face of God. But these men and women gathered themselves against the very God of the universe. Right? Heaven and earth refuses to, refuses, uh, John's using language here, of course, like uh, hyperbolic language, but, but it's, it's true. Like heaven and earth dare not even face God. And yet, man, in all of our iniquity and sinfulness, we face down God. Like that's what they have done. The nations have faced down God and said, we will not have you as our king. And, God is, and, and John is drawing for us this, this image. Uh, uh, God is giving to John this image to give to us, which is, look, like, look, look at the absolute depravity of the, the heart of man. That all of creation refuses to look upon the face of God. And yet man, in his, in his outright self-righteousness and wickedness, looks at God and he shakes our, we shake our fist in his face and we say, we will not have you as our king. We will not have you as our king. And for this, God says that there is great judgment that comes. Great judgment that comes upon them. And it doesn't matter what they look like, small, great, whatever, whatever color of skin they are, whatever, whatever socioeconomic background they are. It doesn't matter, small, great, all of them will be standing before God. And they will, they will, if they do not have their name in the book of life, they will be judged according to their works. And they will ultimately be judged by the things written in those books. And they will, they, will not be, they will not be favorable. It will not be a favorable rendering. And as I, as I said, as I, as, as I had an opportunity yesterday to, to, do, some, uh, to do some street preaching, um, I reminded uh, people that, um, that, listen, you will either meet Jesus Christ as your advocate or you will meet him as your judge. And woe to us if we meet him as a judge. We need to flee to him in mercy and in grace, crying out to him, calling out to him. Because, and it doesn't matter how we die, it doesn't matter in what ways we die, it doesn't matter where we are, it doesn't matter where, where we find ourselves. And this is what it says, it says, for the sea gave up the dead, the, the, the grave gave up their dead, death and Hades ultimately even gave up everything, and, and they themselves were delivered up, uh, and, and, and they, were, they, were, they find themselves cast into the lake of the lake of fire. This is a this is a uh, this is a uh, an absolute utter judgment from God once and for all, showing that He and He alone has the right and the power over death 
and hell and judgment and, and the lake of fire, that, there's, that even death and Hades themselves, even death and hell themselves, answer to God. They answer to Him. He is the one who created them. He is the one who, who has created them for this moment in Revelation chapter 20, verses 14 and 15. And so much so that death and hell in themselves, or death and Hades, were cast into the lake of fire. And anyone found not found and written in the book of life were cast into the lake of fire. Now, as I said, um, as we sort of draw this to a close, um, as, we, as we close our time together, I, I just simply want to uh, remind us and call us to remembrance that for us who are in Christ, this is a time of great mercy. This is not a time to be feared. This is not a time for us to shake or quiver. This is a time of great rejoicing for us because we are in Christ and we, we are, our joy is found in Christ and we rule and reign with Christ. And we would say to, we say to ourselves, well, how can we find joy in the midst of all of this judgment? And I, I, would, say, I would say a couple of things. First, at this moment in time, we rightly understand, we rightly are able to understand God's rightful, rightfulness of his rule and his reign and his judgment and his right to judge. And though it certainly breaks our heart that sinners will, be, will face the judgment and the wrath of God, we understand why they must, why they must meet this end, why they must meet their fate in this way. Not because God delights in it, not because God is, is rejoicing and enjoyous in, in, in this in and of itself. God, God even says in the book of Ezekiel, he doesn't, take, doesn't, doesn't delight in men dying in their sin. He doesn't delight in the death even of the wicked. But we know that God ultimately and rightly judges sinners for their sin. And he judged, he, he had every right to judge us. But it was only through the blood of Christ and the mercy of God that found us out, that brought us out of our sin and brought us out through the grace of God, his sovereign grace that was given to us in Christ. And it's only through his sovereign grace that God found us, he sought us out, he bought us, and out of his mercy he said to us, as he said, uh, in, the, in the Old Testament the book of Ezekiel, live. It tells us that he found us in our blood, completely discarded and disgraced, and he says to us, as he said to Ahola and Aholabama in the Old Testament, live. And we live because of his sovereign grace and for nothing else and for no other reason. And because of this, this should have great impact upon us. This should have great impact upon us in the way that we, the way that we, we pray for people to come to faith in Christ, for the way that we share the gospel with those who are apart from Christ. And I would even say for the way in which we cry out for those who don't have a voice, we cry out for them and on their behalf, um, whether it be the sin of, of, of abortion or the sin of, of infanticide, which is becoming an even more reality, an even stronger reality. And I think we will see in the next couple of years the, the very real possibility of infanticide, as well as we cry out for the, for, the, for the aged and the helpless and the sick and the hurting. It, if we remove, our, if we remove our, um, ourselves from the mercy and grace of God, we will only find judgment we will only find judgment. And so we must call our nation to flee to Christ, to turn to Christ, to run to Christ, to bow the knee to Christ, to kiss the Son before it is too late. And so we must honor Christ in calling sinners to repentance and faith. We must call sinners to repentance and faith in Christ. 
And you don't have to stand on a street corner preaching. You don't, you don't have to pass out tracts. But certainly our faith should lead us to share the gospel with, with those that we have opportunities to share the gospel with. Wherever that may be, however that may look, we certainly should be passionate about sharing the gospel. We should be passionate about giving the gospel away so that those whom God has chosen will be saved. Those whom God has, has predestined and elected for his great glory will be saved through the preaching and the power of the gospel. And we as God's people, we hope in Christ, we look to Christ, we trust in Christ, we love Christ, we serve Christ, we preach the gospel to everyone in the hopes that God would grant them repentance and faith so that they do not have to face this judgment of God. And let us pray to that end, that God would soften the hearts of sinners, that as we present the gospel to them, they would be saved, that God would change their hearts and transform their hearts to be saved. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the hope that is ours in Christ and the gospel. Our prayer is that we would be faithful to share the gospel and everywhere we go, every, every, every opportunity that we have. May we be faithful to share the gospel. May we be faithful to honor Christ. May we be faithful to, to give the gospel away in, in whatever way that you may grant us this opportunity. May we be faithful whether it's giving out a track or if it's, if it's engaging a friend or neighbor in, the, in, a, in a conversation of the gospel, whether it is um, crying out uh, for, the, for the least of these in our, in our nation uh, and, and calling our nation to repent of their sin and to flee to Christ before judgment uh, ultimately uh, culminates and, and, and falls upon us. So God, our prayer is that the gospel would speed forth from this place that you would use us to reach the nations through the power of the gospel, with the preaching of the gospel, that we would see your name glorified. We would see sinners come to faith in Christ and that we would see your transforming work at work among us. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.